Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. You're about to enter into a new world of knowledge, curiosities, and high strangeness. This is a podcast of Straight Up Strange Productions. Tonight, we have some Bigfoot adjacent stories. The Minnesota Iceman from Rolling Stone, Minnesota, and the Deloys Ape from La Freya, Venezuela. All that and more on Small Hello, everyone, and welcome to this episode three of season seven of Small Town Secrets. And uh, I'm buzzing a little bit, more than I want to, actually. Like, as many of you know, I record this show late at night, and uh, I usually take a nap beforehand so I can get up and do it and not feel super tired. Uh, And I made the mistake 
earlier this evening of having too strong of a cup of coffee, a little bit too late. That made for a difficult little nap, and now I'm just buzzing on all cylinders at 2.30 in the morning. But I'll deal with it. No one else needs to worry about that but me. But tonight, we are here to talk about, like I said, not Bigfoot stories. Because, quite frankly, these these cryptids, if you will, aren't well big enough to be Bigfoot. Bigfeet? Whatever. Uh, they are, I would say, more in the hairy hominid variety of cryptids. Tonight, I want to discuss the famous, or maybe infamous, that that goes for both of these stories, actually. Uh, the Minnesota Iceman is on the docket for the first story, and the Deloy's Ape from down in Venezuela is the second story I'm going to get into on tonight's episode. Also stick around, so of course there'll be some news stories, like there always are, and in this episode's Your Small Town Secret segment, we've got uh, some EVPs to discuss. I will be joined by Melissa and Ashley of Encounters with Darkness. Uh, they sent me a an EVP to kind of help, you know, process it and bring out the audio and stuff for it a while back, and I, we finally got around to doing it. And I had them on the show to talk about it. So a little interview with them to finish up tonight's episode. So that is what we're looking at. That's pretty much the intro. Before we get into it, I'm just going to shoot out the socials real quick in case you guys are looking. Find the show on uh, Twitter. That is where I'm most active. That is at STScast. You can also find it on Facebook at STScast.fb. Uh, Instagram at stscast.gram. And don't forget to check out the website at stscast.com for episode notes, sources, images, merch, Patreon links, all of that great stuff can be found on stscast.com. So all that out of the way, I'm ready to get this started. Let's dig into tonight's topics. Hi there, I'm Oz from the Oddball Aussie Podcast. Do you enjoy hearing about ufology, the paranormal, cryptids, and anything else that's strange or unknown? If so, then my show might just be for you. Join me for a different topic once a week and a midweek show that's all about listeners' true stories. Follow me on Twitter at Aussie Oddball or email me at theoddballaussie at hotmail.com. Hope you enjoy the show and stay safe out there in the weird. Before we get into tonight's topics, I want to take a minute and let you know that there is so much more small town secrets to enjoy. Check out the Patreon. There are one, two, and three dollar tiers of support with stuff like a shout out on the main show, exclusive buttons and stickers, MP3s to the music I create, also an ad slash promo free version of the main show as well as STS Backroads, the Patreon-only podcast that comes out in the off weeks, which means you'll get content every week, all in your own RSS feed. 
There is all of this and more. To sign up, go to patreon.com slash stscast or stscast.com and click on the support tab. And now, on with tonight's episode. Rolling Stone, Minnesota has a mini mart. That's it. That's all I've got. It's it's pretty small. But I'm not trying to like rag on them because the town I live in doesn't even have a mini mart. They probably have a stoplight. We don't have a stoplight, but not a big place, I guess is what I'm trying to get across. But back in 1969, this little town became the center of attention for any Bigfoot researcher or cryptozoologist at the time in the country. It was the home of the Minnesota Iceman. This strange and twisting tale started in December of 1968, when biologist Ivan T. Sanderson and zoologist Bernard Huvelmans were contacted by a herpetologist, someone who's in the reptiles, named Terry Collin. Collin had contacted these two men because not only were they actual scientists and friends, but they were also both very interested in the paranormal, especially cryptozoology. Colin had some information to pass along to the two men, something that, if genuine, could change the whole world. Colin told the men that he had seen a very interesting exhibit at the Wisconsin State Fair back in 1967, and that a friend had seen the same exhibit just a few days ago in Chicago. This exhibit, which cost 35 cents to see, was that of a large block of ice in a refrigerated trailer. Encased in this block of ice was a hairy, ape-like creature with many human features. It stood, if it was standing, about five foot tall and had a head injury. Its skull was broken in the back and had brain matter oozing from the wound. The backstory went that this ice block had been part of a larger mass of ice that had been discovered by a Russian trawler. It was then confiscated at a Chinese port before somehow making its way into the United States. Colin said at the time that he didn't know the name of the person who was showing this creature around the country, but he was working on it. This, of course, piqued the interest of both Sanderson and Huvelmans, and it didn't take long for Sanderson, with the help of Colin, to track the man down. His name was Frank Hansen, and he lived in Rolling Stone, Minnesota. Hansen was a retired Air Force captain who had served in both the Korean War and Vietnam. Hansen claimed that he himself did not own the Iceman, but was merely its caretaker, and the actual owner was a rich man from California who had a penchant for owning things that no one else could own. And I'm going to pause here for uh, just a minute. I want to let everyone know my primary source for this was Bernard Huvelman's book entitled Neanderthal, The Strange Saga of the Minnesota Iceman. So that's where I'm getting most of this information, probably about 90% of it. And it's a very interesting book. I I guess I, guess I recommend it um, if you really want to get into the nitty-gritty details of this. Because he was like a zoologist, it's got 
a lot of research in it. I mean, everything is in this book. Drawings, sketches, you know, pictures, of course, a lot of great pictures, but just there's like an appendix that is just list of measurements that he took of the fingers and the toes and the this is and the that. You know, there's a whole chapter on the thing's anatomy and, you know, all of the stuff that they observed. I'm about to get into that here in a little bit about the three days they spent with the thing. I'm talking like he knew that the thing had an average of 17 hairs per square centimeter on its body. So I just I wanted to kind of just stop and let everyone know that's where all of this is coming from. So the book is written by Bernard. Dr. Hubelman, however you want to say it. And a lot of that a lot of the information I've got comes from his point of view, but that's where it all came from. And uh, maybe I'll I'll get into some more aspects of the book here later, but I just wanted to let everyone know before we get too deep into it about the book. After some back and forth, Hansen agreed to allow both men to venture to Minnesota to examine his Iceman. Sanderson and Huvelmans would catch a plane out to Minnesota and spend the next three days poring over the block of ice. They took photos, made sketches, and took every measurement possible. After their examination was concluded, they felt that what they were looking at was authentic. Well, that, all of that stuff that I just mentioned, and the slight smell of rotting flesh that was coming out of the container the ice block was kept in. So it was in like a refrigerated trailer and then inside that trailer was I don't know what you would want to call it like not a coffin but you know a another container that it was in and it was you know inside of that. But something wasn't quite right. The ice was too clear for it to be natural. It had to have been frozen in the block artificially in order to preserve it as much as possible. It also seemed its head wound was most likely caused by a high-caliber round, which meant that it had been shot. Of course, this means that there was no way it could have been frozen in ice for thousands of years, but maybe only for a decade or so. Hufelmans and Sanderson had concluded, at least to themselves at the time being, but this creature had to be some sort of Neanderthal that had survived. They had even given it a name, Homo Pogoids. Sanderson and Huelman knew they needed to get the word out on this discovery, out to any scientist or any scientific community that would hear the story. But Hansen said the owner would have none of that. And, like, as we go on, this story... The Hansen story will change more than once. Little things will happen, like it went from being, oh, it was a Russian trawler to uh, it was a Japanese trawler, and then it'll get completely flipped on its head later. This, however, gave Sanderson and Hubelmans an out. So, like, let me let me get into this a little bit. You know, they said, hey, we would, da, 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 this is great, and they went back, and later... I think Sanderson called Hansen up and said, hey, we want to take, like, x-rays and stuff and, you know, let some other scientists get in on that. And that's when he started backing off and story changes a little bit. And he's like, nope, 
the guy in California won't let me do it. He doesn't want that. You know, I've already I've already done too much. I'm already probably in hot water. So, you know, they had kind of agreed to like keep it under wraps until they could do something meaningful with this information. But now that this guy was very quickly turned around and said, no, we can't do any further study and all of this, they were like, screw it. Let's just, now we just have to tell everybody and maybe we can pressure him into giving us the specimen. Like, that's really what they wanted. They wanted that, they wanted that hairy ape for themselves. Well, for the scientific community, really. And so it very quickly became like this game of how can we pressure this guy into giving up the Minnesota Iceman to us. Since they were not allowed to do anything further, they felt they no longer had to keep their research a secret. They decided to put some pressure on Hansen. They both decided to write papers on the Iceman, as well as tell the Smithsonian and also the FBI. And the reason for the FBI was, at the time, there was an embargo on things coming in from China. And if this, whatever it was, had been imported illegally from China, well, then they might be able to put some real pressure on Hansen to give it up. And then there were some other questions about it, too, as things went on, like, how human is this thing, you know? Is it, like, can he get in trouble for having a dead human body? And then get all sorts of weird stuff like now you're transporting a human body across state lines sometimes up in the canada and showing it off at this exhibit that doesn't sound legal and all sorts of this stuff so they they kind of stick the fbi on them and they got the smithsonian on it as well who at first were very interested but before all of that they just decided to write a couple of articles a couple of papers to, to get the word out there by march Huvelman had gone back to europe and ended up publishing a small paper on the Minnesota Iceman. And then in May, Sanderson published an article in Argosy magazine. This caused a little bit of a rift between the two friends. Sanderson was kind of pissed that Huvelman had kind of released this article before his. And he had all he had done all this stuff. He had kind of been like, I've been playing this guy. I've got this article coming out in May. I need a little bit more time to set all this up. But then Huvelman's paper comes out in March and screws all of Sanderson's plotting up. And he never really forgave him for it that much. So much so that they, in the end, really quit talking to each other. After the article and the paper came out, Hansen would then pull the real specimen and stow it away and now claim that he had put a, a replica in its place. And this replica was a model made in, made in Hollywood by the finest effects guys out there at the time. So he kind of is like, this is my insurance policy. I can't show this thing anymore. I'm not just going to show uh, a fake one in its place. This would greatly kill most of the interest the Iceman had. Now, anyone, including the Smithsonian, lost interest in the Iceman and simply labeled it a hoax. 
And then, in order to get the FBI and other law enforcement's office back, his story changed again. Hansen released his own article in Saga Magazine in July of 1970. So now we've gone on a little bit over a year or into this before he releases his article. Gone was the rich California benefactor. Gone was the trawler stories. It was now all him. He claimed he shot the creature on a hunting trip in November of 1960. He came upon three of the creatures in the creek. Startled, he shot one of them and ran off. A month later, he decided to go back, fearing that someone may have stumbled on the scene he left behind. He found the creature he had shot frozen in a stream. Hanson decided to carve it out and take it home. He also went on to say that he had the replica commissioned, if he ever needed it, for reasons. So, yeah. This story, however, never set right with Hubelman. He felt the ice would have been too heavy for one man to uh, go out into the woods and then get it onto his truck and all of all of those logistics. And then, of course, kind of came back to the ice being just a little bit too clear, a little bit too perfect. Like, it wasn't glass, you know, it wasn't like looking through glass, but it wasn't natural ice. It wasn't all foggy and stuff. You could tell that it had been frozen under artificial means. So now that Hansen's saying all this, it's like he's trying to get out in front of any sort of legal ramifications, or at least as many as he can. So now that the thing, he now claims that it's domestic, it didn't come from outside of the country, that takes care of the whole China smuggling type of thing, and it doesn't make him out of the woods, doesn't get him out of the woods, but it clears up a couple of those issues. But like I said, Bernard Huvelman, his Huvelmans, I'm sorry, that never set right with him. And actually, I'm going to really get into that story, the hunting story, and why Huvelman really, like, on all the points that he made about, like, this doesn't make sense, this can't be real. I want to save all that for the Backroads episode for the for next week. And we'll get into all of that. We'll get into his story and all the nitty-gritty details of that and why Huvelman, and all the reasons why Huvelman's was like, I don't like that. I don't like that at all. But all that being said, for a while, Bernard Huvelman's could never quite figure out how he got it, how it all came about. He was under the impression, he was like, no, he got this from outside of the country. It doesn't make sense, at least to Huvelman and all the research that he did, any other way, had to have come from outside of the country. Then, in 1972, he saw an article that raised his eyebrows a little. In short, this news article that he found was about a man who had just been arrested smuggling heroin in the bodies of soldiers coming back from Vietnam. A gruesome practice, it needs to be said, but it did make Huvelman's think. Was it possible that while serving time in Vietnam, Hansen had shot the creature and employed someone using the smuggling technique to uh, transport his ape-man back 
in a closed casket? Duvelman's sure thought so. He was convinced that the thing that he and Sanderson had seen two years ago was genuine. And he was pretty sure that it was not shot in the Minnesota woods back in 1960. So this seemed to him the only possible scenario. Over the years, excitement died down from the Minnesota Iceman due to several factors. The replica, which Hansen started using, caused most to deem it a hoax very quickly. But you have to keep in mind, shortly after Sanderson and Hubelmans got to study the actual specimen, no one ever saw it again. They all saw this replica, this rubber kind of mannequin that was made because, and they knew it too, when they saw pictures of this replica, because they first, they thought, okay, he's just saying this is fake, but he's still displaying the actual creature. And they saw some pictures of it, and they noticed the pose that it was frozen in, because it's frozen in this pose where it has like one arm around its stomach and the other hand, arm and hand kind of up towards its face. That was a little bit off. They noticed that the toes had been spread out, which before they were all closed together. And the most telling change was the teeth were exposed. Originally, in the thing that Sanderson and Huvelman studied, its mouth was completely closed. You couldn't see its teeth at all. And now, all of a sudden, you can. So they knew that something was different. And then after that, the more this replica was out there, the more of a hoax everyone claimed it to be. Huvelman never quite recovered from his claims and the quickness in which he published his page, his paper. He, he passed away in 2001. So that was another big thing. He was, like I said, he was a bona fide zoologist that also happened to be in the cryptozoology. And he was, I mean, he was never like a crackpot or anything, but he got criticized very heavily for, hey, you published that paper way too fast without having anything really to back it up and scrutinize later. You know, like you got to say, he saw it in like January of 69, and that paper came out in March of 69, and he never really lived that down. So that didn't help matters because he got a little bit of backlash from the community, and he would go on to do things and write books, but I don't know if he ever really recovered from it. Ivan T. Sanderson died of cancer in 1972, so that didn't help matters either. Now one of the biggest proponents of this story, a guy who really tried to drive it forward, sadly was out of the picture. Hansen's ever-changing stories and the replica caused him and the Iceman to fade more and more into the background. What started out as a lucrative exhibit, touring fairs around the country gave way to touring malls and shopping centers. And then that gave way to just a few local spots, like a local car dealership. And then, I don't know, I guess, you know, he just kind of packed it away, and over the years it just kind of went away. He never got arrested. He never got in trouble for anything. It just kind of all quieted down, you know. By the mid-70s, the Minnesota Iceman was forgotten by many until 2012 when famed cryptozoologist and curator of the International Cryptozoology Museum, Lauren Coleman, entered negotiations to uh, 
buy the replica for his museum. But for some reason, that fell through. And it ended up on eBay in 2013. And it was sold to the Museum of the Weird in Austin, Texas for $19,000, where it can be seen today. And that is the story of the famous Minnesota Iceman. Here's what I think it was. Here's what I think happened. I feel that whatever Sanderson and Hubelmans studied those three days in 1969 was biological. I don't know if it was the missing link. I don't know if it was a tiny Bigfoot, whatever you want to go with, but it had a smell. You know, there's so many details that they kept track of. And keep in mind, both of these guys were respected scientists at the time. So I don't think that they would be completely, like, they wouldn't be fooled by a fake rubber ape man. I wouldn't think. Unless they were just so excited about it that it clouded their judgment. But no, I don't, I don't think that. But it's, you know, it might have been some sort of biological hoax. Like it might have been parts of a creature that were very well put together you know it might have been it might have been maybe i know that we've discovered a couple of ape species since then you know so maybe it was one of those and they just didn't know it at the time and here it was so yeah i think whatever they saw at the beginning there was a genuine biological specimen of something and then after that no one ever saw it again i would be willing to bet that maybe hansen went to a ledge and Hanson probably disposed of that body because he probably feared you know he had the FBI calling him he had other local law enforcement kind of poking around making sure that he wasn't hauling around a dead human or something like that you know because even with his other story about shooting it out in the woods himself if this thing turned out to be real and was like so much percentage human he could still get popped for like murder or manslaughter or something and so I think he swapped that out for that fake one and did something with whatever was actually in that frozen casket but that's just my two cents on the Minnesota Iceman uh, I've linked the book in the show notes where you can grab it it's, it's a pretty good read like I said a lot of information in there can be a little dry at times because it was written by a scientist. They have a tendency to write a little dry, but you know, he mixes in his own personal stories and anecdotes with it. So, got a lot in it. A lot of drawings, a lot of pictures, a lot of information to pour over. If if you if you are into cryptids, Bernard Huvelman's Neanderthal book is a book to pick up. But I've got one more cryptid ish to talk about. So let's get into Deloy's ape down in La Freya, Venezuela. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? 
All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. And uh, if I didn't have any information for uh, Rolling Stone, Minnesota, because it was such a small place, I really don't have any information for La Fria down in Venezuela. Uh, you can tell by looking at a map that I would bet it has more people in it because it has like a lot of stores and stuff, but there's just not a lot of information out there on the web about it. I couldn't even find population for it. But what I do know is that it is a tiny town in Venezuela uh, that lies among the Rio La Greta River. And it was here in 1917-ish that Francis Deloise went in search of oil but he came back with something else. Deloise was a Swiss geologist who, among others, had ventured down to the area around La Fria in search of oil. This venture was known as the Colon Development Expedition. The team went searching for oil in the Sierra de Pergi, I think, I'm taking a stab at that, mountains in uh, 1917 and returned in 1920. Well, Four of the 20 men that went out returned in 1920. The ill-fated exhibition didn't find any oil, but Deloise had a story to share. He claimed that one day they were camped out on the shores of the Taro River when he saw two creatures. At first, he thought they were bears, but as they got closer to the group, they resembled large monkeys with red hair. Only these monkeys walked completely upright and didn't have any tails. Both of the animals, one male, one female, seemed agitated by the group's presence, so much so that the creatures began fleeing feces at the men. The men fired on the animals, killing the female while the male fled off into the forest. 
examining the dead creature, they found that it closely resembled a spider monkey, but it was much larger. It was just over five feet tall, about the same size as the Minnesota Iceman, about two feet taller than your average spider monkey. It did indeed have no tail, and Deloise also counted only 32 teeth. Most modern monkeys have 36. The men took a series of pictures and skinned the animal. Deloise attempted to keep the skull, but said the bones quickly became brittle and were later destroyed. So I don't know how long, like I said, they were out there for a while. And so like if they had seen this creature, these creatures in like 1917, that means they were trying to carry around these bones and this pelt and all of this stuff for a couple of years before they got back. So who knows how well it fared just kind of out in the elements with them over who knows how long. It would also seem that most of the pictures were most likely destroyed when one of their boats capsized. And when the remaining members of the exhibition made it back to La Freya, the only thing that was left was a single picture, which showed the dead female animal propped up with a stick under its chin atop a crate. They made it look like it was sitting on this crate. After returning home from Venezuela, Deloise put the photo away pretty much forgot about it. It wouldn't be until years later, when Deloitte's friend, a fellow Swiss anthropologist, George Alexis Montandon, found the picture. And so, the Deloitte's ape was unleashed on the world. And pretty quickly, this uh, major, the major consensus for this was that it was nothing more than a dead spider monkey propped up with a stick under its chin. But who was responsible for this hoax? This Fiji mermaid, if you will, which is kind of the term given to fake animals such as this. Some point to Deloise himself. He was a known prankster, and there was even a witness saying that the creature did have a tail and that it was simply cut off. Others point to Montadon, creating the whole thing himself using Deloitte's exhibition as a backstory. He may have used the picture to help propagate the polythelic idea of evolution. This is an outdated and kinda racist idea that humans evolved from whatever local species of primate was in the area that they came from. So like it kinda posits like that, you know, people in certain parts of Africa they evolved from these monkeys and then people out in the jungles evolved from apes and that people in the Americas evolved from a creature that's not around anymore. Just kind of a, ugh, when you really start to think about it, idea that, you know, that is no longer around and probably rightfully so. And even though it was given a scientific description of Amerilanthropoids lasoi or Deloy's American human-like ape, it was quickly shoved to the back as a hoax uh, at best and a prank at worst. It remains a strange story with a strange picture that is most likely fake, but maybe, maybe not. I mean, you look at it long enough and you look at the 
Minnesota Iceman pictures long enough. They look very similar, like the size and the way they are. You know. Maybe these guys both found the same missing link. Who knows? I doubt it, though. I think Deloitte's ape is complete crap. I will say it's a fun story. It's a short one. And then, like I said, the reason why I really wanted to dig into it was because of the picture. I'll talk about that in a second. Here's what I kind of think is the whole thing with Deloitte's ape. I think both Deloitte's and Montadon are completely responsible for all this. I think Deloitte's took the picture as a prank because he never like he never really talked about it even when he came back and they interviewed him and he did all this you know he wrote stuff about the exhibition and all that he never mentions it like one time he writes about it like a brief sentence in you know one article for something so i think like he took this picture ha 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 and then he just kind of forgot about it it wasn't important to him i don't think he was trying to like pull the wool over anyone's eyes. I don't think he was like, we didn't find any oil, but we can take a picture of this dead monkey and uh, make up a stupid story and maybe make some money off of that. No, I think he just, it was a thing. It was a joke. A cruel joke because he killed a monkey and cut off his tail. But I don't think it, for him, I don't think it went any further than that. And then, I think later, Montadon got a hold of it and was like, hey, can I... Uh, I got plans for this picture. Do you care? And he was like, nah, that, that's a joke. I don't give a shit. And he used it for his own agenda down the road. So, yeah, it's a very creepy picture, and that's why I like it. There's very something kind of uncanny valley about it. Like, yeah, looks like a monkey. Looks like a... It doesn't. It does. It's just... And it's black and white, and it's grainy. And it's always been another one of those pictures that's always captured my imagination. But... If you look at it very closely and you look at a good picture of a spider monkey, I've got one in there in the show notes that you can see. You can see just how similar they look. Like when you factor in that the thing is dead, so its skin is probably not behaving how it's supposed to when it's alive, it would make it look a little different. I kind of think it's just a dead spider monkey propped up with a stick under its chin. Because the real problem with the picture is yeah, it's sitting on a crate, and it looks big, and its arms are stretched out and all of this, but there is absolutely nothing in that picture to give you any sense of scale. The river's in the background. It's sitting there. All that's there is the river in the background, which is blurry, and you can't tell anything from the background. It's the background. And it's sitting on a crate. Well, sitting. It's propped up on a crate, and then its neck is propped up with a stick, so the head kind of sits up. And that's it. That stick could be 12 inches long. That stick could be 3 feet long. You just don't know. That crate looks like a sizable crate, but it could be the size of a shoebox. And the picture is just, you know, taken in such a way where it looks bigger, maybe a little forced perspective or something. There is just really not enough info in that picture to give you any sense of how big that creature was. If it's the size they say it is, then there might have been something to it. But really, I don't think it is. I agree with pretty much everybody else. It is just a spider monkey. But I love the story. Uh, I love the creepy picture that goes with the story. And that, there you go, is the short but kind of sweet story of Deloitte's Ape. And that brings us to the intermission of the show. I'm going to play uh, some music here. We're going to come back with a couple of new stories. And like I said, some EVP goodness in your small town secrets.
And the first of our two stories tonight is from express.co.uk, even though it's a story from the United States. It is written by Emily Chundy, and the headline reads, Dog's ghost appears in an incredible photo after a loyal pet dies. Cries happy tears. A woman claimed to see her dog's ghost in a photo after her loyal pet Rocky died at the age of nine. Angelita Castillo, who lives in Arizona in the United States, posted a photo to Reddit of a shadowy dog-like shape next to her after Rocky died in August. She wrote, I think this is evidence that he may still be by my side. Castillo, 34, said that she had previously always been intrigued by ghosts, but never seen one with her own eyes, until she saw the photo taken by her home's security camera. She and her husband had been out for a Friday evening, and when they came back home, they didn't notice or feel anything and went in for the night. But on Sunday that weekend, Castillo's husband reviewed their security camera footage, and he noticed an image and sent it to her. She added, At first, I didn't see it until he pointed it out. The image shows the Castillo's outdoors, a bright white light obscuring some of the image, and then what could be the blurry shape of a dog by their feet. And the image is... And the image is interesting, to say the least. It does look like there is some sort of four-legged blurry mass there, kind of in between them. And then there's a picture of Rocky when he was still with us later down in the article. I came to the realization that the shape resembled Rocky, said Casile. I started crying happy tears at what I was seeing. Rocky turned from an older dog into a puppy again when she and the family moved from a city to a rural area last year and loved running around all day in the wide open space, she explains, recalling the beloved dog. Rocky was a very loyal dog who was constantly by our side, said Casile. His entire life we worked from home, so he was always under our feet, and as soon as our older boys, age 16 and 11, came home from school, he would send, spend the rest of the day and night with them. Castile is not alone in believing Rocky visited her in spirit. Many people have commented on her Reddit posts with stories of their own loss and experiences of pets seemingly visiting them from beyond. And as part of a poll conducted by Animal Friends, it was found that nearly 40% of owners believe they have or will be visited by the spirit of their former pet. And the next article is another for sale article. And this is from the Boston Globe, written by Amanda Milkovitz. For sale, one conjuring house, slightly haunted. Burkittsville, Rhode Island. For sale, one of the most famous haunted houses in the country, already inhabited by things that go bump in the night. The historic farmhouse that inspired the blockbuster movie The Conjuring was listed for sale Thursday for $1.2 million by Mott and Chance Sotheby's International Realty. The old farmhouse and barn at 1677 Round Top Road comes with more than eight acres and a burgeoning ghost hunting business. It was made famous by the 2013 film The Conjuring, which was based on the haunting of the Perrin family, who lived in the home nearly 50 years ago. Suddenly, the quiet old place in the dark corner of Harrisville was drawing hordes of horror film buffs and ghost hunters who wanted to see the property for themselves. 
The unwanted public attention from the movie drove the previous longtime owners to file a lawsuit against Warner Brothers. In 2015, they then sold the property in the summer of 2019. The lawsuit 2015, they sold in 2019. Corey and Jennifer Heinzen, paranormal investigators from Maine, bought the house for $439,000 with the intention of opening it up for visits by paranormal researchers earlier last year. They began offering overnight stays at $125 a person for the curious to explore the 31,000 square foot home, its barn and land. Ghost hunters and a Globe reporter last October immediately booked a visit to the house, though some fled before sunrise. The house is now booked solid for overnight visits through 2022. The Heisens still love the house, but it's time for them to let it go, said the realtor Benjamin Keen. The Heisens are hands-on with the business and are still traveling back and forth from their home in Maine, he said. They've built something special there as a business, and they are at the point where they can pivot, or they would have to hire a full-time staff to continue it the way it is, Keen said. In a Facebook Live post Thursday afternoon, the couple explained that they didn't anticipate how overwhelming it would be to own a famous haunted house. We're paranormal investigators. We're not business people, Corey Hansen said. They have visitors at night, every night, tours in the daytime and in the wee hours. Some people still try to trespass on the property. The Heinzens say the house became more work than they anticipated, and there's no stopping the flood of interest. I knew we feel there would be uh, perfect buyers for it, but I don't know if we were the perfect for a business like this, Jen Heinzens said. It's too big for us. The bookings through 2022 will be honored, they said, and the family hopes the new owners will follow in their footsteps. We just wanted you guys to know it wasn't an easy decision for us and it wasn't made without putting a lot of thought into it, Jen said. I will be very picky about who comes into this house. If we can't find the right buyer, we won't sell. The house will appeal to those who appreciate the paranormal and the investigators who can take over the paranormal business. The couple has built, Keen said. They are hoping for the next person to hit the ground running. We're all hoping it's someone who's dedicated and open-minded as they are. Someone who's going to respect the bones of that house and keep it open to what's going on, Keen said. Because it's very important that people can go there and do their own investigations and their own research. And I, I found that story earlier today, but I wanted to use it to piggyback something else. I don't have a news story on this. I just saw the listing, but Ferrar School, previous episode, Ferrar School is also now listed for sale for the cool price of uh, $400,000, I believe, or $399,000. So if you are looking for a haunted property, not only do you have the, con the Conjuring House on the market right now, but also Ferrar School. So I just wanted, I wanted to float that out there for, you know, anyone who might be in the market for some of that. And there you go. That has been this episode's local headline. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, 
all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. And on tonight's segment of Your Small Town Secrets, like I said, it's all about... EVPs tonight. I'll give you a little quick... We get into the interview, but I'll give you a little quick about what happened. They posted this on Twitter looking for someone to take it and try to clean it up and do whatever they could. And I was like, I I can do it. I've done it a couple of times for some other people. And so they sent it to me. This was in, like, July. I promptly forgot about it for a couple of months. But finally remembered and... Took a stab at it, tried to clean it up and get rid of the background noise and the hiss and boost all the thin sounds and all of that. And then I asked Melissa and Ashley if they wanted to come on and talk about, you know, where they were at and the whole story and everything behind it. So that's what we get into in the interview here. So before the interview starts, I'm going to just throw the boosted version, the version I cleaned up of the EVP in the show here. I'm going to loop it, let's say, three times so everyone can hear it and get a good sense of what they think it says. And then later we do talk about like what we think it says and all of that. So here is the interview with Encounters with the Darkness, Melissa and Ashley, and uh, their EVP and the story behind it. Encounters with Darkness. I am Ashley. And I am Melissa. And we hunt spookables. Or we try to. We (laughs) do. Sometimes we get some things. And sometimes our equipment fails us. (laughs) And Mm -hmm. sometimes we have to ask for help. (laughs) Which is why we're here. (laughs) It happens. It happens. We just, we had, when we were doing, we were messing around with Randonautica, the app. Uh-huh. Just like driving around, setting our intentions for ghosts, and we ended up at this one abandoned house that Ashley loved so much, and we were getting such good material from the Necrophonic, which is an app that we use, and we're 
were kind of skeptical about it, but it was so good and we were getting so much and we were so excited. And then we turned the camera around and we realized it was never recording. <laughs> None oh, of no. it. I know. <laughs> we tried to get the ghost to just like, okay, take two, everybody. But... Yeah, what else are you doing? Do it again. <laughs> and then as soon as we did that, it was like complete, no, nothing, nothing at all. Yeah. Like, great. You're just going to have to believe us on this one, guys. Right, right. <laughs> I've never had great luck with Random Nautica because whenever I try to use it, it always just try to route, route, like, write me, what word I want to say, route me to, like, someone's backyard or something. It's like, no, I'm not no, doing that. Okay. You know? Off of that, we ended up, there's this really weird turn, because we were just following the directions. We don't know where it's taking us, obviously. It's nighttime. Right. We're just driving around. And it was like, take an immediate left. So we figure we're still on the road. And we realized we're turning into this really long driveway and there was nowhere to turn around because we were surrounded by cows. <laughs> and I was like, oh no, like we're going to have to commit to this. We, ha we have to drive all the way up here to turn around. And the people came mm -hmm. outside and met us outside their house. And we're just like, what are you doing? And we're like, sorry, we got lost. There you go. <laughs> we we should have been like, so is your house haunted? <laughs> It's right. houses, people's addresses show up on this app and that's one thing we were trying to get across is like people can just show up at your house on this app it's just weird it yeah. is weird. i've had interesting things like there's a mode on it where you can just you know you don't set an intention you can just tell it to give you a 100 percent random place I don't know if you've ever done that. Like, instead of, you could just say, just give me something. I don't care. I'm not going to tell you anything. I'm not going to put input anything. Just give me a 100 random point. And you can set, like, the distance, you know, the circle. Yeah. And I did that one time just to see what it it would do. And it put it right in the middle of what used to be my grandparents' driveway. <gasps> like, down the street. And the funny thing about it is, like, it was halfway down the driveway. Very long driveway. But when you get halfway through this driveway, there's, like... I don't know what the word is, like a culvert or a tunnel that runs under the driveway. It okay. was right there. And then, like, the one time we tried to do it, our intention, of course, was haunted. And, like, it it literally dropped the pin, like, on someone's front door. Like, <laughs> you know, I'm like, oh, I'm not doing that. Like, <laughs> So I haven't, I haven't messed with it too much since then, but it's still on my phone somewhere. I'm going to start knocking on doors. Like, what is the worst thing that happens? Like, last house on the left? Like, what's... <laughs> Right. What's really going to go wrong, wrong here? <laughs> <laughs> so, where were we at? So, you sent me, or you, I think you put something, someone put something in on Twitter about an EVP. Can anyone help yeah. with anything, right? Yes. Yeah, that was me. I was like, I might be able, because I've done it for a couple of people before. I have no idea what I'm doing. I have somewhat idea of what I'm doing, but I can twist enough knobs where I can finally kind of work something out. Right. And that was back on July 9th, you sent that to me. And I promptly <laughs> forgot about it for like two months. And uh, now here we are. So what, give us give us the background there on like what, like where does EVP come from? What were you guys doing? Okay, you know, so. Whose land were you trespassing on at the time when you got it? You know, <laughs> right, all that. Right. We don't do that. <laughs> oh, allegedly. <laughs> So there is this place in Seymour, Indiana, and it is dubbed the Coffins. What 
what it is, what the story behind it is, is way, way back in the day, 1800s, when they would have asylums, which we all know in that time period what asylums really were. Mm-hmm. So when, when these people would pass away, they didn't have any family to collect them. So they would just take them to this field and bury them in a small wooden coffin in a very, very shallow grave. However, at the time, they did not realize that it was a flooding area. So every (laughs) single time that it would rain really hard, that whole field would flood and the coffins would start to rise up from the shallow graves. So that's how it got the name, the coffins. So we went there, there's a bridge. Um, So it's, it's a, it's a road. Anyone can go there if you can find it. Cause it's only dubbed the coffins. It's not landmarked. So we went there, we're walking across the bridge. We're looking out at the Creek and the field, trying to figure out, you know, where we should start our investigation. And we keep hearing stuff happening underneath the bridge. We're really freaked out. <laughs> We Which didn't. we should point out, it's now used, like, a lot of people go there now to, like, do drugs, do different things. We found gun shells. People go there just to shoot guns, yeah. I guess, for the heck of it. And people have died on this, curve, like, recently, within the last 20 years, um, due to the 90-degree curve that the road's on. So there's a lot that goes on there even now to this day. There is. It's a gravel road, so... A lot of people Mm. don't know how to handle their car on gravel when you're trying to speed away. So there has been some car crash deaths there as well. Um, But we're walking back to the car, actually, when we captured that EVP because we thought someone may be under the bridge. We weren't sure. And it's just the two of us that go to these places. So safety first. (laughs) Mm -hmm. We're heading back to the car, and that's when we capture that EVP. The weird thing about it is a lot of people will point out, well, maybe it was someone from under the bridge. That I would believe if the EVP wasn't so close to the microphone when you look at it from the audio perspective. It's closer to, like, the microphone's picking it up closer than it was picking up are talking yeah how far away do you think you were from the bridge we were just stepped off of the bridge Mm -hmm. but i don't know i find that hard to be like i feel like you would have heard it like you know for the b yeah we never heard anything it wasn't until we were reviewing the footage that we captured it just going frame by frame looking for stuff. We we were actually trying to see if we could spot someone walking around the bridge area where it kind of comes up the hill and onto the road. That's where we were hearing a lot of movement, but afterwards, not during this time. So we're trying to look to see if we could spot anyone maybe hiding, but there's there was no one that was there that we could see. Mm-mm. And that was the only EVP that we captured while we were there. Yeah, I agree. Like, it's hard to be like, that's it, right? Like, you only capture that. You would think if someone was under the bridge, you would have more, you would have, you know, you would have people walking, you would have, you know, like. Yeah. Yeah, like, it's, like, I had the opposite. We, me and a friend were doing, 
an Estes method session, not so much an EVP thing, underneath a bridge. And we had basically had to stop because like people were walking over the bridge and saying a bunch <laughs> of crap. And you can hear everything on that. Like, you know what I mean? So I feel like you, you would have known if there had been someone under that bridge. Like, For you know. Sure. Especially we would have heard the echo off of the mm-hmm. bridge talking under there or anything and we never heard any voices we just heard movement we yeah. never heard voices it was definitely it was it was a creepy place <laughs> we would definitely like to go back when we went it was on july 3rd and people were shooting off fireworks in the distance so that's when we mm-hmm. kind of called the investigation and left yeah now's the time to go yeah right that's, right that's the time to go back yeah it's it's an interesting place. It Just is a lot of gun shells. Yeah, there is a lot of gun shells there. <laughs> but that's like every one of those places. Like I've right? been to, yeah, like on my YouTube channel. So I went, I don't know, when it was back in July, the end of July, or maybe it might have been during Fourth of July. I can't remember. I went hiking in Tennessee, and I don't remember what it was, but it was sometime in July. And I was like, oh, I'm going to go. There's a pl- couple places I want to stop. Uh, I ended up going to the International Paranormal Museum in Somerset, Kentucky. Nice. And I was in there for a little bit and walking around and da-da-da. And someone on a Facebook group that I belonged to, like I had tweeted something or put something out about how I was there. And they are like, oh, you should go check out, I can't remember the name of the cemetery, you know, like. As, you know, it's got an old burnt, like the, you know, you know, some legend of, right you know, and I went there. I'm like, oh, I'm like three miles away from it as the crow flies. And then <laughs> I ended up there and it was that, it's always that same thing. It's beer cans. It's, yeah, you play a shotgun shell or two, you know, there, yeah, there's always, if, if it's a play, <laughs> I've noticed the correlation, the Venn diagram between like haunted <laughs> location and like where teens like to hang out and drink. <laughs> Is, is a very, very small circle. I feel like conversations go like, hey, you guys want to shoot guns? Yeah, I know, a haunted place. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, just in case, yes. Yeah. We can shoot at some ghosts. It'll be fine. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, it was, it was a wild experience. That's been one of our, probably our second biggest evidence we found um as far as just finding a random place and going like we went to step cemetery that's in monroe state park or something i think it's monroe and that's where we caught the apparition that's the first apparition we've ever caught and again we didn't see it when we were there nope it's always after the fact so it was really exciting for sure Hmm. is that well you might have sent me do you have that like on anything is that on it um, YouTube video yeah. or do they? Hmm? It's on YouTube. I can send you the link. Yeah. Of it. Um, because it's it's one of the weird things we've had a lot of people try to debunk it. Like we will challenge people because we're okay if it's debunked. Right. Then that yeah. Means cool. Okay, we didn't catch anything. We've learned something. Move on. But we have we actually challenged a guy, and this is his entire content is to just debunk paranormal videos. So we sent him the link. Um, he blocked us, so I don't <laughs> I don't know what that means. <laughs> we took that as a win. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
So that's weird. Yeah, I'll send you the link to it. <laughs> Maybe you can just don't don't block us. Just yeah, tell us. No, I won't. If it's not. <laughs> right. So did you? Because all I have is like a couple pieces of it. Did you like? Is it re okay? I guess we like I said, everyone has heard it. What do you guys think that it says? So I actually I I hear at the beginning I hear a female's voice come through and it says are they alone and then a few seconds later if that mm -hmm. I hear a male's voice say yes they are that's what I hear what do you hear Melissa the only difference I hear is that the first part I hear are they there and then I hear the yes, they are. I didn't hear, I don't hear the alone. I hear, are they? Yeah, I hear, I think I hear, are they there? Mm -hmm. But, you know, I wonder if I can, I'm going to try something. Ready? I'm gonna, what happens if I just like, if yep. I drop it? I'm trying to like put it in here. <laughs> what happens yes, if I drop play. it in the chat? Will that do anything? <laughs> Come on. We're excited. <laughs> this is new technology. <laughs> I hate Skype. It's owned by Microsoft, so it automatically sucks. <laughs> it's like in there but i can't get it to do anything i thought maybe i could play it real quick i mean i could but i'd be the only one that would hear it right right huh. but it's interesting that oh, you i didn't send it oh no did everyone feel that did that work i heard a, something but you couldn't make out what it was yeah hmm I don't know. Uh, we tried. <laughs> but yeah, I don't know. It's weird that we all hear different things, but there's obviously something there. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it's close to the mic. That's what's blowing my mind. Like, that's where I'm stuck at. I put it, my husband ran it through his software. It's kind of like Audacity, but I think he paid for this version, <laughs> not a free one. <laughs> So I don't I don't know nothing about that, but it's so close to the mic. And this was recorded off of a phone. Like we were recording okay. with our phone. Yeah, because it actually I mean, I'm I'm using Logic Pro, which is like I paid for it too. Like like and you can see like you can see not a lot, but there is some waveform there. Like you know what I mean? Like, you can tell that there is, it's not just, like, so quiet that it's not leaving some sort of visual trace. Like, there is a little, you know, there are little bumps and waves. Not big mm -hmm. ones, but they are there. Because so people might say it's, like, one of us whispering or something, but we're actually talking right before and right after. So you can tell, like, it's not either of our voices. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. So, because I know people could say, oh, well, were you whispering? It's like, no, you can tell we were having a conversation right before and right after because we're getting freaked out in that moment. Yeah. So you can tell that it's neither one of us and it doesn't even sound like us. Because at first I was like, oh, maybe we were talking. But no, if you watch, we're not. So it's just very, it's strange. It's very strange. Yeah, you have to, yeah, send me, send me a link to that too. That way I can put everything and people can go and watch, like. So it was all, it was video. It wasn't all, it wasn't just audio then, right? Yeah, no. Like this was taken off of a video. Yes. Okay. That'd be cool. That way I can drop it in, in the show notes and people will be able to go and see all of that. 
he'll be able to see me and Melissa staring back at the bridge and then at each other <laughs> and then back at the bridge <laughs> and then walk to the car. Mm-hmm. We only walked to the car, I think, three times mm-hmm. before we were finally like, okay, maybe it's not safe here. <laughs> And we also, um, I don't know if you, you can't really tell from what I noticed when we we wa- re-watched the video and played the audio. We also kept hearing, like, a vehicle coming, like, towards us, mm-hmm. uh, like, on gravel, how a car sounds on gravel. We are on a gravel road. And we have the video where you can see there's no vehicles except for the Jeep that we drove parked. But we even heard that a few times, and we mention it in the video, but you can't, I don't know if that's caught on audio, we couldn't really catch that. But that was also strange there, because we did, we're like, oh, there's a car coming, but there was no vehicle in sight. So that never shows up, yeah. Yeah, we're just a ghost <laughs> car. Yeah, they're just, you know, but I mean, it's because people have wrecked there, so mm-hmm. it kind of correlated with the history, but who knows? That's what we're out there looking for. <laughs> Encountering darkness. I will say this. Um, I did I did Google. I did Google Seymour, Indiana and the coffins. Uh, oh, yes. The first, if you, this, this, these are always my favorite. If you Google Seymour, Indiana, the coffins, first result is an angel, is an angel fire website. <laughs> with uh, yeah, that... the bats in the background. And oh uh, some dripping blood and a, and, a, and a skeleton popping up from a casket. They have so many good ghost stories on there, but no one puts addresses. Right? Yeah, <laughs> I know. I used to... Place. <laughs> I know. I, there used to be all of these just, like, terrible, you know. I mean, not, like, I guess it was, like, you know, 1999, right? Like, when you could just go and make an Angel Fire website, that was, like, the thing to do. Yeah. And... <laughs> Like, yeah, like Ohio used to have this great one. I can't even find it now where you could click on counties. Like you click on the county would just give you stuff. But it was never like, I mean, some stuff like, yeah, because it was a big, you know, landmark. But other stuff like I live very close to a town called Troy. And there's supposed to be this like cemetery out in the middle of nowhere with a dead tree in the middle. And it's on a hill. Never been able to find it. Like, (laughs) I don't know if it exists. I don't know. I know there is a cemetery in Troy with a dead tree that's on the middle of the hill, but it's like in town. I drive by it ten oh. times a week, like, but I don't think it's that one. I, I don't know. I always love like, yeah, they're like, here's all these stories, but we're not going to give you any any details on any of it. You know, well, no names. Is ever. That one, they don't want to leave the address because then it would debunk all of their stories. Yeah. <laughs> in the middle of town. <laughs> But they're like, there is a cemetery. <laughs> That's what it is. <laughs> I have a theory that all the Angel Fire websites were just what Creepypasta turned into. Like, that's why we have Creepypasta today. It's because of all those silly websites. <laughs> They're little ghost stories. Yeah, that tracks. And then, right. And then, and it's probably eating its own tail because I'm sure there are Creepypasta. I'm sorry. If I sound weird, everyone, hold on. <laughs> <laughs> You're fine. Okay. My, my my headphone cord was like wrapped around my chair. No. So if I'm going in and coming out, it's because I'm trying to untangle it. So I just gave up and unplugged it and just grabbed it. Because I also have a cat scratching at the door that acts like he wants in, but when you open the door, it doesn't come in. Right. So yes. I've, got, I've got stuff going on. Um, <laughs> what was I going to say? Oh, yeah. I'm sure there are like great creepy pauses about these terrible old archaic websites as well, somewhere. 
but hopefully they put aggressive so so you said yeah going back have you guys any plans to go anywhere else before it gets too cold to go anywhere you know outside (laughs) we have been having obviously with covid happening and everything places Mm -hmm. we were wanting to get into we couldn't however we have a big location hoping for next month um it's a well-known location I don't, should I say it? Yeah, oh, yeah. We're going to stay the night at Waverly Hills in Kentucky. Okay. Um, mm-hmm. We're really excited. We have been wanting to go there. It was closed for a long time. They mm-hmm. just opened back up to like public and private paranormal investigations. So that's our big one that we have planned. And then we're hoping to also go back to Randolph Asylum at some point. We caught, that was, I don't even know how to explain that place. Yeah. Um, that was just a very strange uh, experience. All in all. So I recommend that place to anybody. Definitely go check out that place. You'll have an Where's experience. Where, where actually is that? Is that? It's in, it's Winchester, Indiana. Yes. Okay. So it's a little up north. Um, it's an old, old asylum. They also have the Randolph Mansion as well. We've not been there, but we have been to the asylum. We have had the entire night was, there was never a dull moment. No. At all. There was, and even, we couldn't explain it. We we went down in the basement, which Mm -hmm. we thought was for an hour. An hour. (laughs) We came up, and it was like we had, how much footage missing? It was... Two hours. Two hours of footage not accounted for, if that makes sense, to where, I don't know, it was like a time warp in that place. It was very strange. That's the best way that we can describe it, because we were down there for three hours, but we we only thought we were down there for one hour, and between three different cameras, we only had one hour of footage. If that, if you're following. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We went back. I'm fall- yeah, I mean, it's just it's that's really interesting because it, that like when people talk about missing time, basically, right? Like it's never, it's never in a haunted location, you know. Like, is it possible that you were both abducted by aliens while on a paranormal investigation? Why didn't they give us our memories? Right. We would, we would have kept us. I don't know. But we're we're secret. Of course. <laughs> Just us, you, the internet, you know, that's all mm-hmm. that <laughs> We wouldn't tell people in town unless they watched our video. <laughs> <laughs> but it was very strange. So I definitely recommend that place to you guys as well. Like that's Yeah. That's, that's about sure. according to the Google Maps, that is an hour and ten minutes. No, I'm sorry. An hour and seven minutes if I go the fastest way from where I'm at. Yeah, it was about two hours for us. So, yeah, yeah. and it's a pretty drive. It's a really creepy drive, too. It was foggy, and there's a bunch of windmills on the way. So Mm -hmm. it's a spooky drive there, too. And then you get there, and it's just, it's a wild place, for sure. It is, and it's a huge building. Probably one of the most affordable paranormal places that we've went to. Mm -hmm. For sure. I'm too cheap to go, like... I've never gone anywhere where I've paid any money to go there yet. Oh, you're like so- I've always I've always just dug up little things from like because my thing is like the bridge that I went you know that we went to was yeah. called the Bloody Bridge and it was like 
this little bridge in the middle of nowhere. It's like a trailhead, you know, on an, on an old, on the old canal, the old Miami Erie Canal, like like you know, ran all the way through Ohio. And it's just, you know, of course, lovers triangle, right? And two of them were thrown off the bridge and drowned. Oh, and it, no, something no. probably did happen, but I don't think we have like all the details. But you know, mm-hmm. and like I was like, we should go there. It's like an hour away. No one, you know, like no one's gonna go there, you know. <laughs> Yeah. No one knows yeah. about this place, and we can just go there, and it's right on a trailhead. And if people walk up and down the bridge, we can just leave. That's exactly what we did. <laughs> one of these, yeah, one one of these days when things are kind of under control, I would like to go to a couple of places. We yeah, try to like hit Waverly, up. yeah, like yeah. Yeah, we do. We did a lot of. I think our first season together, we all that's all we did was just urban legends, mm-hmm. and. Mm-hmm. We'll probably go back to a few of them, but now that we've had the taste of, like, going into buildings, <laughs> it's so much more fun, especially yeah. in months. <laughs> who cares if it's hot or if it's cold or if it's raining or if it's snowing? Yeah, like... You're in a building. It's right, great. there's no wind pollution. There's no... Yeah. But but yeah. We've... Well, no, we've got a lot of the urban legend mm-hmm. spots in Indiana. At least southern. Yes. Yeah. I at least try to find something I know has some tangible, you know, like, you know, something actually did happen here. We just may not have, like, the names quite right. You know, like, right. you know, like, I'm not going to go to, like, a crybaby bridge because there's one in every other town. Yes. That's what we like. There's always a woman in white as well. Mm-hmm. Woman in white. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's one thing, too, when you go to, like, when we went to Randolph, um, and we tried to tell when we've gone to places that have history, we don't want to hear the experiences that they've had going into it, and we talked about this, like, when we had the tour with um, the lady at Randolph beforehand, she focused on certain rooms about the rooms with the most activity, but then when Mm -hmm. we investigated, it was the rooms that weren't even mentioned where we had the most activity, so we don't like going into a place and then being like, well, this room, because then you end up focusing on just that room. Right. right. And you, that room's probably overly investigated. And if I were a spirit, I'd be like, seriously, these people again? Like, haven't you had enough? So it's like, go to a different spot. I don't like hearing about the history too much mm-hmm. and experiences before we go to a place. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. Like like hearing, it's like hearing what an EVP is supposed yeah. to say before you hear it. Yeah. Yep. And we've come yeah. full circle. Um, and there we go. So We're full circle. <laughs> awesome. I think I think that's good. That's about half an hour, twenty five minutes. Once I cut out, you know, the Yay. beginning ramble. That's not So YouTube channels, Twitters, all of that stuff. Any anything else you want to let everyone know? And if you send me that, send me all that stuff. I'll make sure to put it in the show notes so mm-hmm. everyone can link. Um, you can follow our Instagram. Mm-hmm. We have a TikTok, which is full of funny videos. <laughs> We're both authors. People can definitely buy our books, <laughs> support the cause. <laughs> yeah. Right. Okay. That's about it. <laughs> and there you go. Another episode in the books. If you are on Patreon, 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 like I mentioned earlier, we're going to dig into Hanson's uh, hunting story. And then we're going to dig into why Hubelman's thought it was all horse shit. That is 
the next episode of STS Backroads for the Patreon members. Uh, before I get out of here, if you have a small town secret you would like to share, like Melissa and Ashley had, then there are a bunch of ways that you can get it to me. You can get it to me from by social media. Uh, those are all up top of the show, at STScast on Twitter, at STScast.fb on Facebook, and at STS.gram on Instagram. You can also go to the website, STScast.com. At the bottom of the main page there is an email form that you can fill out and uh, send me your experience as well. You can write it in. We can do a little interview. You could just record something if you want. No one's done that yet. I want someone to do that so I can just drop it in here and, and not have to do anything. But we can do it. We can pull it off. So if you've got a Bigfoot story, a haunting, a true crime thing, or just like a weird history thing from your small town that you want to share, we can do it. Let me know. We'll get it on here. And uh, one more little thing before I uh, get out of here for the night. I am working on some stuff on Twitch. I'm going to, you know, maybe get on there a little every once in a while and play some kind of horror slash paranormal slash just kind of more darker themed video games, just kind of maybe some indie stuff, things like that. I might hop on there when I mess around some music in case anyone is interested with uh, taking partaking in that as I just bang around on keys not knowing what I'm doing until something sounds good. If that sounds interesting, then I might I'll throw that on there too. But the big thing I want to do it for is uh, I want to start the stream that is essentially just like a panel show, like a talk show, where I get a couple of weirdos together, me and maybe like two or three other people, and I throw a paranormal topic out on Twitter, have people vote on it, and then we're going to get on the stream here and just have fun and discuss some topics, you know? Maybe go really deep on something or just maybe make fun of something really dumb for an hour or so. Just have some fun with it and have an excuse to get together and just talk about some of these topics. I think it would be really fun. I think a lot of people would enjoy it. So that is something I'm working on. It's going to be called Small Town Secrets Presents STS Town Hall. So I'll give everyone more details as that gets closer and closer to becoming a thing. I just kind of started getting it all together. I'm hoping to get it out for the month of October and then maybe do it every month and or maybe more. We'll see how it all goes. I just wanted to give everyone a little heads up on that. So that's it. That's the show. Thank you all for listening. Thank you all for supporting and enjoying the show. If uh, you want to, if you can, please head on over to iTunes or your podcatcher of choice and leave a rating or review. It really helps the show out. Also, just uh, let a friend know about the show, someone you think might be interested in also listening to Small Town Secrets. Like I say, almost every episode, if everyone out there gets someone else to listen to the uh, show, then we automatically double the show's audience. But there you go. That is it. That is the episode. Thanks once again. Until next time, remember, every town has a secret. What is yours?